this morning, we're in John chapter 10, and I invite you to turn there with me, uh, verses 1 through 10. I invite you to listen carefully and listen well, for this too is the word of the Lord. This is Jesus who is speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks be, to, God. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So last week, we focused on one of the I am sayings in, in the Gospel of John. Jesus has seven I am sayings throughout the course of that Gospel. What was last week's? I am the vine and you are the branches. You've already heard it a couple times this morning. This morning, we're shifting and we're listening to another one of those I am sayings. First, let me give you a little context for this passage. Um, as we hear it this morning, we've actually stepped into a conversation that was ongoing. Uh, Jesus has just healed a man who was born blind, restored his sight. The Pharisees heard of this, and they discovered Jesus healed this man on, a, on, a, on the Sabbath, on a Saturday. And so what do they do? Well, they are trying to tra entrap Jesus in some infraction of the law. And so they go to him, and they're accusing him, and they're trying to figure out from the man what exactly happened and so on. And so they come to Jesus, and they speak to him about it, and this is what he tells them. Which at first glance seems a little odd. He's starting to go on about sheepfolds and gates and shepherds and what, what's going on here. Well, the Pharisees, if anything, knew their scriptures. The Old Testament, right? They would have immediately thought about Ezekiel chapter 34. I'm going to read just a bit of that to you. Not all of it, um, but I want you to hear it in this context of the, of the Pharisees accusing Jesus and then Jesus responding to them with all this imagery about sheep and shepherds. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? 
You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the strayed you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for the wild beasts. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the word of the Lord. Surely because... My sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there is no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep. So can you tell what he's saying to them? <laughs> Who are the shepherds? The Pharisees in this scene, right? And Jesus is speaking these words to them in a way that confronts them, but sort of indirectly, and yet also through God's Word. But there's a positive aspect to this. There's a beautiful piece to this, which is sort of what Jesus builds on as John chapter 10 continues. Listen to it. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search out my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and strong, I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. So I wonder if the Pharisees were a bit nervous as he spoke these words, or if they were a bit angry, or maybe a little bit of both. You've entered into the conversation now. And I would like to pull out a few aspects of what Jesus says in particular. As he, the shepherd, comes to the sheep. First of all, and this is interesting because Chip is already prepping you a little bit for next week, so maybe this is just God's tying all this together for us. The first thing I wanted you to notice is that the shepherd knows his sheep by name. Did you catch that? In the first reading of John chapter 10, he calls them by name and they come out because, why? They know his voice. And then as they come out and as he gathers all of them out of the sheepfold, the shepherd goes before them and they follow him because they know his voice. That first piece is so beautiful. He knows them each by name. Um, last week I got a phone call. A former member of this congregation had passed away, Mary Cherry Tate. She grew up here. She lived about a mile down the road um, where the Board of Education is and the bus garage used to be a farm. And that was her family's farm. And so she grew up riding the pony across the field and coming to church at Newland Presbyterian. She was part of the youth group where Edwina and Junior uh, gathered kids at their house uh, every Sunday evening. So she grew up here. She heard the gospel here. She was baptized here. And now... Got the phone call. She passed away, and she too was going to be buried here. I'd met Mary one time, and that was at her mother's funeral eight years ago. 
Also Mary, Cherry. And Mary, the most recent, had requested uh, Psalm 23 and another scripture to be read at her service. You know that one. Especially in this context. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The same promise that we heard about in Ezekiel 34. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Even in the midst of being surrounded by enemies, He sets a feast before them. Anoints our head with oil, His cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That was the passage she wanted to have read. A reminder of the shepherd who knows her by name. In fact, she'd been walking through her house, as I understand it, planning to go play golf. She was dressed and ready to go and passed through a door and fell down and died. Her name, you might say, had been called. Um, She was called from here. And yet at the same time, the timing of this means something. We are still in the season of Easter, are we not? Easter tide. In fact, every Sunday we are celebrating the resurrection, but right now it's still Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. She died in the midst of Easter. She passed away during this season where we remember the story of the women running to the tomb. What were their names? Mary. Mary. Who run to a door and find that it's opened. In fact, do you know the first name that the risen Jesus spoke was Mary. Our shepherd knows us by name. And he calls us by name. And not just the Marys of the world. But you, the Lord Jesus knows your name and speaks it. It's part of why you're here this morning, whether you recognize it or not. When you woke up this morning, guess who was saying your name? Guess who was bringing you greetings on the day of the resurrection just as Jesus approached Mary and said, Greetings? So too were you greeted this morning when you rose from that little death that is sleep to the light of a new day. Jesus knows you by name and calls you by name. And so part of the question I have for us, and I think what Chip's going to be talking about some next week, is how can we begin to listen for Jesus' voice, the voice of our shepherd, so that when he calls us out, we can follow him because we recognize it. We know it. We're familiar with it. Last week, and again, how the Lord ties things together, Lindsay gathered the children for the children's sermon. And had a few voices, right? Buzz Lightyear, a line from, what's that, Toy Story. Uh, I didn't re- recognize any of them except Cookie Monster, which is fitting, you know. We recognized the voice of these characters, and kids did in particular. Why? Because they had watched the movie hundreds of times. <laughs> Who knows the songs of Frozen or... Yeah, okay, right, yeah. Yes, that's right, Emmy and Lauren. Yeah, we know that voice. And Lindsay's subtle 
gentle call, which I'll make a little firmer, is, hey, if you don't know the voice of Jesus, maybe hundreds of times it would be good to read these words. Because this is where the voice of your Savior speaks to you. It's where you learn to hear what he sounds like and to recognize him when he speaks. There's opportunity there. But not just through the words of the Scripture. So too do we need to be gathered together as Christ's body. I said this word or this line from Bonhoeffer before, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't have it as an exact quote, but it goes something like this. Often the word of Christ, the voice of Jesus, is stronger in the mouth of my brother or sister than in my own heart. There are times where we can't hear clearly the voice of the Savior calling to us. And so what we need and how Jesus chooses to speak is through the voices of one another. Sometimes through our lips, but sometimes with a hug or just a being with. But Jesus speaks to us through one another and often that is how Christ communicates with us. Through the words of the Scripture, through the voice of His people gathered together. It's good that we're here this morning. And it's good that I'm not the only one who's going to talk either. You're going to greet each other in just a moment. Who knows, maybe Jesus will be speaking then. How can we learn to hear the voice of our shepherd? You know, I was really ready, honestly, as I was reading the passage myself, uh, for Jesus to say, especially given the context of Ezekiel 34 and the shepherd returning, God finally returning as the shepherd to his people who would seek out the lost and bind them up and feed them by quiet streams and inverted pastures. I was ready for Jesus to say what he actually does say later in John chapter 10. I'm the good shepherd. Just in case you missed that, he's saying, that's me. I was ready for that, but he doesn't say that. Last week it was, I am the vine, you're the branches. This week it is, actually, did anybody catch it? Jesus says, I am the door. I'm the door. I wasn't expecting that. I am the door. So there's a number of ways that we can begin to understand this. Um, he speaks of uh, the sheep gate, which opens and there's pasture inside. There's, it's like, you know, at the end of the day, the, the sheep are gathered into the sheep fold and they pass through the door and enter in. Now, I hope you haven't missed the fact that you walked through a door this morning and we're the body of Christ, the the sheep that belong to the Good Shepherd gathered together. It's like we've, we've entered in right here to this space that we've read about. Now, historically, it was typical for the font, the baptismal font, to, to be at the entrance to the sanctuary. Why? Because that's how you enter through Christ. Actually, your entrance into the body of Christ, your entrance into the sheepfold, is through the waters of baptism where you die and then are raised back up anew united with Jesus, receiving a new name, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is your entry point into the gathered flock, the body of Jesus together. And so the, the baptismal font will be at the entrance so that when you walk in, you say, oh yes, I'm choosing to enter today by the door who is Jesus Christ. There's no other place to get in. Jesus says, if you try to come in by some other way, you're a thief or a robber. You're, you're trying to actually take away from Christ. But when you enter in through Jesus, 
You belong to him. So there's a way of modeling that. And of course, once you enter in through Jesus, the baptismal waters, what happens? We gather as a people and we open up the word of God and we hear his voice as he speaks. And then we're gathered in by this good shepherd and brought to the table where he feeds us with his very life. He's promised to do that, and so he does in worship. So we could, we could take this passage, Jesus says, I am the door, and we could understand it as a clear image of entrance into the church in the biggest picture. As you become a Christian, as you enter in and, and share in union with Jesus by the Spirit. But we could also understand it as a Sunday morning, just as we've gathered today. But I wanted to think about this maybe in a slightly different way. Maybe, maybe a way more practical. I hesitate to say it like that because nothing is more practical than theology, though it takes a little work sometimes. But we don't always use that kind of language. The, the language of the church or the language of the scripture, the language of our faith in our moment-to-moment, day-to-day life. So how can we think of Jesus as the door, not just into the church, but He's really every door. Think how many doors you actually go through in a given day. You ever thought about that? How many doors you pass through? I mean, it's hundreds. Name them. What's some doors that you you pass through or enter? Front door. Yes, of the church. Front door of your house. The front door of the grocery store, which opens beautifully for you. What else? Door to your office. The door to your school. The door to your car. The bathroom door. A door is an opening. It's a passage from one place, one state, into another. I got on, I, I passed through a door of an airplane in Houston, Texas. It closed behind me. Waited a little while. And I walked back through the same door. And do you know where I was? I was in Managua, Nicaragua. It was at 90 degrees and I was sweating immediately. A door represents a passage from one place to another. If you want that on a smaller scale, think about getting into the door of your car. Get into the door. Go a little ways. You get out the door and suddenly you're somewhere else. Think about the door from outside the church to in. The door from outside the sanctuary to in. There are points of transition, changes from one state or one place to another. Jesus says, I am the door. Jesus is literally every door you pass through. The most most frequently accessed door in your life probably is this. Every time you open it and go through it, you're somewhere else. And then you return as the door closes. We pass through a lot of doors. What if you considered every time you pass through every door in a given day, what if you did this this week, that every door, every transition is actually passing through Jesus? Doors serve a couple purposes. They open and they close. The door opens when the voice of the good shepherd speaks and you recognize it, but the door also closes to keep out thieves and robbers. 
As you enter into a new place, as you go to work and you walk in the door to work, or as you enter your classroom, what could happen if you pass through Christ to get from one state to another? What would you take with you? What would be open to that space? And what would be necessarily closed? I can't go through the long list of these things um, for everybody, but I, think there, I really think there's a lot of food for thought. I think this is one of those unique sentences that Jesus gives you that you could apply over and over and over again the rest of your life. <coughs> I am the door. I'll give you one more example. Uh, comes from a 16-year-old girl, not named Lydia. St. Teresa of Lisieux wrote a book called The Interior Castle. It's a book about the soul, which she imagines as a palace, as a, um, as a castle in which the king resides. So this is now an interior move, isn't it? And as she speaks about your soul, she speaks about a progression as you're drawn further into the life of Jesus. And the way she describes this as a passage between rooms. She doesn't call them rooms, she calls them mansions. In my father's house there are many mansions, right? And so you enter into one particular space, into one room, as a particular context, struggles, things about it. And then you enter into the next room through the door, right? Who's that door? Jesus is that door, that threshold. I'm going to give you the first three rooms. So we pass through a lot of doors out here, and that's good to understand passing through Christ as he meets you in those places. But I also want you to think about something a bit deeper than that. St. Teresa says the first room is called distraction. That's where we all are, I think, most of the time. Especially now that the world has these, actually. Distraction. She said, most, she said, many people can live their entire lives and never go outside of this room. Their soul stays in the same place. There's no change. You're obsessed with the world. You're distracted by the world. And so you're constantly thinking about it. And all the goodness and all the, you know, badness of it, you're drawn apart. You're drawn outside of yourself. You spend all your time out here. In fact, you're so distracted you don't even see the need for God. Many people stay here their whole lives. St. Teresa said the way to progress and to walk through this room and to go to the next door is to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and to try to imitate the life of Jesus. That sounds really simple. It's hard to do, but it's simple. It's kind of what the gospel is. It's, it's simple, but it's hard. Read the gospels, try to imitate the life of Jesus you see there. And what will begin to happen is you will find yourself passing through Jesus the door into the next room, a deeper place in your soul, a different way of being in the world and for yourself and with others and with God. And the second room is described as a place of struggle. Because suddenly, you never saw your need for God, but now all you see is all the ways that you've let other things crash into your life and crowd into your being. 
that push God away or pull you aside from God, and now you're trying to actually deal with them. And you're struggling with them, and you're wrestling with them. And there are two aspects to this place, this way of being in the world and with God, that's really helpful to know. Knowledge of yourself. What are the things that my heart is drawn to? What are the ways that I run? What are the ways that I deal with difficulty? What are the ways that I deal with blessing? Knowledge of yourself and humility. Because you'll discover there's so much there, there's no way you could sort through it on your own. There's no way you could even get to the next door without the Spirit at work in you. And yet somehow, by God's mercy, you're drawn to the third door. And you pass through Christ into a deeper way, into this room she describes as discipleship. You become a disciple. Where you are suddenly um, beginning to process your entire life in relationship to God. There's not like a Sunday and a rest of the week. There's not like, I'll think about God when I do my devotion, but then the rest of the time I just, I'm on my own. I'm doing my thing and for all practical purposes, I'm not aware of God's being anywhere outside me or around me or within me or any door I'm passing through. No, suddenly you're beginning to deal with everything in relation to God. And you become more aware of the work of the Trinity living in you. The, the King who abides in the castle of your soul. You pass through a lot of doors in a week. Perhaps some of them could actually be doors of your own heart. Where in your baptism, Jesus entered in and lives within you. He calls to you, actually, from there. Can you hear his voice? He calls you by name. Have you recognized that yet? Or is distraction too much for you? Sometimes we need 16-year-olds in Nicaragua to help remind us what is true and what the voice of the shepherd sounds like. Sometimes we need Lydia to stand before us and do the same. And sometimes saints from ages past, like Teresa, show us there are a lot more doors to walk through that we haven't yet reached. And yet at the same time, they're all Jesus. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door to me, I will enter in and eat with you. The good shepherd who feeds his sheep. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.